John chapter 12, beginning to read at verse 20. Jesus predicts his death. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life will lose it, while those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. Many years ago, when most churches only had the King James version of the Bible and the ordination of women hadn't even been considered, I was invited to preach uh, at a church as the visiting preacher for that Sunday morning service. And as I got him up into the pulpit, there was a card resting on a desk similar to this in which was boldly written, Sir, we would see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. This morning, that request leads me to ask two questions. One to you, and one to myself. So I ask you, what is your expectation every time you sit and listen to a sermon? And the question I ask myself is, is the aim and objective of every sermon you preach to help the congregation to see Jesus? Well, I know the answer to my question. Do you know the answer to yours? Let us pray.
Lord, through these words I'm about to speak, may I truly fulfill the expectation of all who have come here this morning to see Jesus, so that they may be blessed and you may be glorified. Amen. In the Bible, the, 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 the word see and, the, uh, and, it, and in its various tenses are to be found more than a thousand times. In the dictionary, the word see and the variations of it have over 20 different meanings. The, for example, to perceive with the eyes, to mentally understand an idea or suggestion, to see someone in order to tell them something, learn from them, or question them. Our Gospel reading this morning began with the account of some Greeks, we don't know how many of them, but they had come requesting to see Jesus. I think we can say for certain that they were not sightseeing tourists wanting to see someone everyone was talking about or wanting to get close to Jesus so that they, they could get a selfie with him or in order to be able to afterwards phone or email a friend and family and say, guess what? I've just seen Jesus. An American friend of mine, uh, when she was over here at one time, did just that, text everybody when she had seen the former Archbishop Rowan Williams in Marks and Spencers in Canterbury. These Greeks were in Jerusalem in order, we're told, to worship at the feast, the feast of the Passover. It's very likely that they had indeed seen Jesus already at a distance. As Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, on what we now call Palm Sunday. Because if you look in your Bibles, you'll see that that event immediately precedes the passage we're looking at this morning. These Greeks were possibly proselytes, uncircumcised converts, Gentiles, who had given up their worship of many gods and been won over to the idea and the worship of one God, the God of Israel. It was a characteristic of many Greeks at that time to be constantly searching for new ideas, whether it be related to philosophy, religion, or anything else. They were people with seeking minds, always searching for the truth. If they had already had a glimpse of Jesus, watched him closely, heard him speaking, Perhaps they are beginning to realise they still haven't discovered the whole truth about God and believe that if they can get to see Jesus, ask him a few questions, talk things over with him, they in fact might discover more things about him 
and get nearer to the truth. Well, the next step is to see Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, the only disciple of Jesus with a Greek name. They wanted help. Hence their request, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. But why did Philip feel the need to consult Andrew? Well, one possible answer to that is that they remembered two things that Jesus had said in his ministry to all 12 disciples. One was, do not go among the Gentiles. And the other was, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So the question in Philip's mind is, would Jesus welcome a Greek deputation? Or would he refuse to give them an audience? Well, of course, there was only one way to find out. And so Andrew and Philip then told Jesus. There's no more mention of the Greeks. Were they able to see and talk with Jesus alone? Or were they in the crowd mentioned in verse 29 of the passage we're looking at this morning? What we do know from verse 23 is that Jesus launched into talking about the Son of Man being glorified. That was probably something they'd never heard before. That was the great news to the Jews who would immediately think back to what was written and said in the book of Daniel. Their thoughts would turn to that promised day when this Son of Man would be the all-conquering champion of God. The, the golden age was on its way. One thing this would mean, they would be able to get rid of the Romans. And that was something the Jews longed to do. But to Jews, the Son of Man stood for the, uh, the undefeatable world conqueror sent by God. By being glorified, however, Jesus didn't mean what they thought it meant. Jesus was speaking of the cross. He was speaking of his coming crucifixion. As seen in verses 24, 25 and 26. Jesus turns thinking upside down. Only by death comes life. Only by spending life do we retain it. Only by service comes greatness. The Jesus who so recently had ridden into Jerusalem and hailed as king had already experienced in his ministry rejection, been distrusted, been abused, mocked, laughed at. He knew what it was like 
to be lonely, hungry, poor, to be unloved, to be slandered, to be put to shame, to be made the butt of jokes. This son of man and son of God had during his ministry been called a liar, a fraud, a false prophet. He had been humiliated. He had been misunderstood both by his family and his friends. And in the days to come, he would be forsaken, betrayed, denied, spat upon, mocked and murdered. That doesn't sound very much like being glorified, does it? Well, certainly not in worldly terms. The Son of Man, about to be glorified, seemed like an impossibility. But, my friends, that's our Jesus. That's our Jesus, our Lord, our Saviour. Those are the sum of things he endured for us, for each and every one of us, and indeed for the whole world. That's the Jesus a group of Greeks were, were anxious to see, to talk to, to listen to, in their search for truth. Jesus predicting his own death, then fighting his battle with his human longing to avoid the cross. Yet knowing there was no other way, knowing that this was the very purpose for which he had entered into the world. The one who was both son of man and son of God had been sent on earth by his heavenly father. Those bothering to listen to Jesus heard him say, now my heart is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No! No! I can imagine him saying that, can't you? No! Making sure that everybody heard it. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The words glory and glorify and glorified, etc., are to be found over 380 times in the Bible. Having expressed his desire by his coming death to glorify the Father, the Father replies, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. There was a time hundreds of years before this when the Jews fully believed that God spoke directly to people. He did, to people like Samuel and Elijah. However, in the years before this incident that we're reading about and looking at this morning, there had been no direct speaking of God until Jesus came. Whilst Jesus knew his father was speaking to him, just as he has done at his baptism and the transfiguration, others did not believe it. And so some said it had thundered, and others that an angel had spoken. 
At this moment, like no other, Jesus needed strength for the ordeal of the cross which lay ahead of him. It's a great comfort to know that when God has a job for us to do for him, he doesn't expect us to, to do things in our own strength. He speaks to us in many ways. He speaks to us directly. He speaks to us through the scriptures. He speaks to us through our consciences. He speaks to us through other people. He speaks to us through our circumstances. Sadly, much of the time when he speaks, we sadly are not listening. Here in this passage, he had to remind the crowds around him, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. And he goes on to talk about world judgment and states the prince of this world, meaning Satan, is about to be driven out Things are about to change. That's something to think about. But that could only be done. There was no other way Jesus could save the world apart from the cross. As he himself puts it, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. It's a lovely picture. I've got one of those um, toy things at home. It's got all lots of little iron filings, and it's it's a, it's a great thing to play with that. And you you sort of get a magnet near it, and and gradually sort of lift lift it up. And sometimes a bit bit scatter across all over the place. But the thing is, I wanted to point out that that, that Jesus in in lifting up will draw all men to Himself. Will draw all men to Himself. At that moment, Jesus was speaking about his death. But to those living after the crucifixion, it is a forecast of his resurrection and ascension. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and later lying in a tomb, the world appeared to be the winner. The Jewish people rejected him. Their leaders condemned him. Judas betrayed him. Soldiers mocked him. They had no idea that their very actions were to lead to victory rather than to defeat, to life rather than death, to heaven rather than hell. Were those Greeks among those in the, their generation to discover this? To see that although Jesus was a, a, a teacher like no other they had ever heard, with a message that seemed too good to be true, he was and is the saviour of the world. A claim they had probably heard others make as they had searched for the truth. But everyone else had been unable to fulfil that claim. There was more to Jesus than the eye alone could see. Today and every day around the world, 80,000 people make the decision to invite Jesus to be their Lord and Saviour. And amongst them there will be folk formerly of other faiths, including Jews, 
and Muslims and Hindus. There will be people who have been going to church for years, those who have been searching for years, those who had previously have had no time for God, those for whom the, the, in the past the, the very name of Jesus Christ had only been uttered in a derogatory way. Those who have been saying to themselves up until this day things like, oh, I can never be forgiven for all the things I've done in the past. And amongst that 80,000, it won't only be in churches that people give their lives to the Lord this day, but also people in their own homes, in their workplaces, in prisons, in hospitals, on the street, and amongst people living in the most appalling conditions, the homeless, the refugees. There will be wealthy people, poor people, educated people, and those who can't even read and write. God says, or his son says, I will draw all men, I will draw all men to myself. Nobody, nobody is ever left out. 80,000 people, isn't that a wonderful thought? 80,000 people from all walks and circumstances of life will see Jesus today for the very first time. All people who see the need of a saviour. All people who have suddenly realised and recognised Jesus as Lord. But sadly, sadly, many more than 80,000 who come under the sound of the gospel today will choose to keep their spiritual eyes closed. They will go on rejecting Jesus, go on turning down his offer of salvation and a new life. In the gospel, in the verses that immediately follow our reading, the crowds ask, who is this son of man? To concede that Jesus is that person would mean accepting that he was the long-awaited Messiah. But Jesus doesn't reply to their question directly, but speaks about light. What better person to talk about light than the one who elsewhere tells us, I am the light of the world. I invite you to read verses 35 and 36 in your Bibles. You might do it this morning, after or before or after you receive communion. Just read through verses 35 and 36 of that 12th chapter of John's Gospel. We are all invited to put our trust in the light. Think how much we, we each need the light of Christ today. Where many people are, for example, living in fear. Fear of the future. Coupled with the shadows of doubt. Uncertainty. Sorrow, sickness, and suffering. The words of the 
very old chorus come back to me time and time again when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. When we learn to trust and obey him, fear, doubt, and all the shadows of life grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And my brothers and sisters, I can assure you, I know from my life's experience that that is true. Recently, the media announced the death of Dr. Billy Graham, the American evangelist, through whom God spoke to millions of people worldwide throughout, what, five or perhaps it was six decades. Thousands came to see Christ as a result of his ministry, his faithful preaching. When his health began to fail a few years ago, he wrote, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have changed my address I will have gone into the presence of God. My friends, that is the reward for all of us who believe and trust in Jesus, for all of us who acknowledge him as our Lord and our own personal saviour. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. That's how it all starts, with that desire, a request to which God says, in various ways, and so you shall, and so you shall, now in this life and in the life to come, when you will live with him, become like him, and see him in all his glory. There is no reward better than that in life. Yes, I'm sure you've often heard it said, the best is yet to come. But this morning, may we see him as we share in receiving the bread and the wine, as we continue to worship together, and as we look into the face of each other's eyes, may we indeed reflect his glory. Amen.